Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we are talking with Silvan Krahenbull. He is the podcast host of Swisspreneur, also a co-founder and former CEO of Gene Hopper and also uh, working as an enterprise account director in Rentoge. Uh, welcome, Silvan. How are you doing? Thank you for the invitation, Ricardo. Very glad uh, to be here today. And yeah, now everybody might think like, oh, what, what do all these fancy job titles mean, especially the last one that you just mentioned? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, we will have the chance to explore a bit of each of them during the conversation today. So hopefully we will have all the time to manage it. So we will see. But I, based on what I was researching and talking to you, of course, uh, you said that you are an ecosystem builder, you are sales enthusiast and a gene lover. So maybe as an initial ice-breaking question I can make you, so it's like, what have the gene routine taught you to your journey in, in entrepreneurship and all the roles that you are currently having? Um, actually, a lot. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, a very passionate gym goer. I was lucky enough to start that when I was quite young in my teenage years and I just, you know, fell in love with uh, hitting the gym and lifting some weights. And I think the biggest takeaway there really is consistency and that consistency pays off big time if you do that over a long period of time. And I think that also very much holds true for business. I think, you know, many stories and successes that we see, they did not happen overnight, although we think that they did, but they didn't. And there is a lot of work, a lot of consistency in the background. And I think also with our podcast with Swisspinner, it's basically we put out one episode every week for the past three years. And I think this consistency is key to building an audience, to building a brand. And I think that is true for every business, no matter what you're doing. If it's sales, if it's building a product, consistency will bring you a very, very long way. And that's basically what I learned at the gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds good. And how do you keep that consistency? I, I, it sounds, of course, really good, but of course, I assume <laughs> it's really hard work, right? So right. how do you make that you wake up every morning and try to keep consistent? Is uh, intrinsic motivation or how do you find that motivation? There, I, I always look at it like, if it's business related, I always look at it with like three different parts that come together, like three different circles. And you basically want to focus on the interception of all three parts together. So ideally, you do something that you're good at because then you also enjoy doing it. Uh, ideally, you do something where you actually can also make money, right? And also something that you love. So I think those three things, being good at, loving what you do, and being able to make some money to pay your bills, if you find the intersection of these three things, then you're in a very, very sweet spot. And for me, the gym is not something that I hate to go where I think, oh, now I have to mm. really, you know, push myself to do it. It's something that I really enjoy doing. 
also with the podcast that we do, I love talking to people, learning from their experiences and talking about their stories. So this intrinsic motivation and, and finding something that I truly enjoy doing, that I think I'm also good at based on the feedback from other people that they give, give to me, and also ideally can pay my bills from that if it's like job or work related, then that's really the, the sweet spot. I think this three thing, it's called hedgehog concept. Mm -hmm. There's also something similar, the Ikigai, uh, for everybody who wants to read that. I think there's in a fourth uh, point. Uh, so I've focused on the hedgehog concept, but that really helped and served me well so far to find stuff that has those three circles intersecting with each other. And that's when you hit the sweet spot. Okay, sounds good. And apart from this uh, framework, I, I noticed that in, let's say, in, let's say your family has been involved as well in entrepreneurship. So, and I know that your parents has making a veterinary, veterinary practice. So how, what was the process on that or what helps you if there was something with your parents? Have they given you any advice like running your businesses or how, how does it work for you? Yeah. Yeah, so it's funny, like at first I didn't even think about them as entrepreneurs. It, like, of course they are, but I, I didn't really think about them that way when I was younger. But of course, business was always present. You know, when we were having lunch together as a family or dinner, there was always talk about business because that's basically, that was one of the key aspects in life. There was not mm -hmm. too much room for anything else. But at the same time, for me, it was also very clear early on, I was not interested in in animals or the veterinary practice at all as a young kid. So I knew I had to find a different way because that was just not something that was of any interest to me. And then just learning how they operated the business and then also going to business school later down the road and having that exchange with my parents about businesses and how they could change things or try out new things, that certainly had a big impact. So for me, it was really clear, hey, it's actually possible to run your own business and to have your own company and my parents were the best role models for that. Mm -hmm. Got it. So, yeah, that's really exciting that your family has been involved into a business and you kind of seen it as a role model, right? Good. Um, just going kind of chronologically first, uh, sure. talking about what are your ventures. I, I know that you have uh, a startup called Gene Hopper. Um, I think that was the first startup officially, or do you have some previous startup? No, it's like the first official company mm -hmm. that, that I that I co-founded, but the first touching point actually already happened during high school. Mm -hmm. So in high school, that was in, in Bern, and there we had like a project called Yes Young Enterprise Switzerland Project, mm -hmm. where we basically founded, we didn't legally found it, but it was a part of that project at school, where we found a company for one year. And there we basically import, we created our own, and we import a cell phone holder from China. So we then really had like, you know, shareholders that usually all of our parents that uh, gave us a bit of money to finance that. We then had to go to trade shows and sell the stuff, launch our own online shop. And that was really the first time that I basically got in touch with entrepreneurship myself. Of course, there were smaller things like, you know, printing t-shirts and selling them that I did earlier. But that was really the first bigger thing. And there I realized, wow, you can actually do a lot of stuff um, if you work with a great team, if you just, you know, try things out and, and you have to solve a lot of problems along the way, but it's also very rewarding and very fun. And that was for me then clear, hey, that's really, really interesting. And that's then also what led me to go to business school afterwards because of that experience. So I think that had a really tremendous impact on me 
and I'm very thankful for that opportunity and also lucky that I chose to go for the actual real-life project instead of just writing a paper. Yeah, of course, it's always good to practice just theory and then, of course, when you go to the practice, you go to the world with, <laughs> with all the potential problems, right? All the pros and cons, yes. yes. <laughs> Got it. And, well, now going deeper into the Gene Hopper, so how this project started and I, I assume, of course, you were loving the Gene, so you saw a problem or how right. was the story behind that? Yeah, so I then studied business uh, in the eastern part in Switzerland, in St. Gallen. And mm -hmm. basically, I was always commuting. So over the weekend, I went back to my parents' place near, near Bern in the Emmental Valley. Mm -hmm. And during the week, I was basically in St. Gallen, sometimes also in Zurich. And with my gym membership, I could only train in my hometown, but nowhere else. I didn't want to go to any large chain that would offer multiple locations because usually they have different equipment and not exactly what I was looking for. And therefore, I sort of had this own personal problem that I would have loved to be able to train in other cool gyms, mm -hmm. countrywide, basically, but my membership didn't allow me to do so. And it was way too expensive to purchase a second or a third membership because I, I was a student. Like mm -hmm. One membership was already way more expensive, like expensive enough for me. And then out of that necessity, basically, that out of that own problem, the first part of Chim Hopper was then basically born. Of course, the idea looked completely different to what it then became, but uh, the first idea was basically to be able to easily book single entry passes to chimps so that they would be cheaper during off-peak times and more expensive during peak times. And that was basically the initial idea of Chim Hopper. We then actually you know, took that into a course at the university to be able to work at it and, and also write a business plan, do a survey and stuff. And then when we actually tried to execute that in our free time, we then had to come to the hard realization that the great idea, the great business plan that we just wrote is actually not working in real life. So mm -hmm. that was a tough moment where we then also had to face the decision whether we wanted to continue the journey or, or not. Mm -hmm. And how was the process to validate that the concept could work? So how was it look for you? Uh, it was because you have some mentors who helped you to figure out the product market fit. And um, if you can talk about that process. Yeah, sure. So, of course, we did it like very student-like. First, we did ran, ran some surveys. We did a lot of desk research. So we looked at the market numbers, how many gyms are out there, etc. But all of these tests were not completely wrong or off the charts, but just not super helpful because in the end, we did have to go to talk to gyms and then also to gym users to actually see would anybody sign up for that service? Would anybody participate in that service? I then did a few cold calls. I never did sales before, so that was like the, one of the hardest ways to learn it. I then basically cold called chimps and asked them if they wanted to join our platform completely free of charge. And the fun fact is, although it was completely free for the chimps to actually participate in our network, on our platform, most of them said that they are not interested, that I shouldn't call them anymore. And that was a very frustrating experience, right? Because you, you are so enthusiastic about that idea that you want to use yourself. And then they just tell you, no, we don't need this. We're not interested. And the hard fact there was really we had to learn single entry pass, like day passes at Swiss gyms. It's such a small part of their business that it's not solving any real problem or adding any value to them. So therefore, they just said, like, don't waste my time. This is such a small part of my business. I want to sell annual memberships to my clients. Mm -hmm. And then we actually realized that and said, okay, 
we can stop here, or it was ideal timing because then the summer break was coming, or we take some time to actually understand what is important to the chimps. So then I was able to borrow the car of my parents and together with my co-founder, we then said, we want to push through. We want to give ourselves time over the summer. And we then drove from chim to chim. And of course, there the student you know, story helped a lot because we are students. We want to learn from you. We want to hear your feedback. So we then just asked them for feedback about our idea. And then we better understood annual membership. That's important to them. So we have to tie our product to the annual chim membership. And then we slightly changed the story step by step every time we talked to someone else. And that's how we then found the first clients actually that then said, well, guys, this is a great idea. If you are going to build this, I want to be part of it. How much does it cost? And th at that moment, we then knew that we found the, the right product for the market. Mm -hmm. Got it. And in that journey, so it was always your thought to go to an exit or it was just natural way that appears someone who wanted to buy yeah. your platform or how was the story behind that? Yeah. So the exit there was not on our minds at all, um, although it probably should have been because we then raised money from business angels pretty early on. But the game plan was really to build the, the largest network in Europe with all the independent chimps. So it was really more about growth, about building something big, the biggest thing here in Europe. Um, than anything else. So exit was not like, of course, you briefly talked about that with investors, but that was not something that we had on our minds. Mm -hmm. And what was the process to prepare you on that exit? So I assume based on the story, you said you, you run the project for three years or the company for three years, and then someone appeared to your door and said, hey, guys, <laughs> I need to buy you. So uh, Yeah, sort of. Um, so basically, <laughs> three years is quite a short time, right, from foundation of the company to selling it. We also had to realize we then did the, so Switzerland worked very well. So within no time, I think it was within six months, we were the biggest network here in Switzerland. We overtook every chain. It worked very well, mainly because it was a very specific Swiss case, but also because we were convincing. So we, I, I basically traveled from chim to chim to sell them a chim hopper membership, right? So that worked super well. Then the investor said, let's do another financing round. Now we go global, we go European-wide, and we make it really big. And there, we then had to learn the hard way that the European markets don't work the same as the Swiss markets and that our case really is a specific limit to Switzerland because only here you have basically the, the annual chim memberships and everywhere else you usually have monthly memberships, way more flexibility. So the need mm -hmm. for our solution was not really there while it was still and still is here in Switzerland. We then said, okay, what can we do? We can focus on Switzerland and also start additional revenue streams to actually monetize the network. So we then went into the corporate fitness area acquired the first successful pilot customers, could prove that the business model works. And that exact corporate fitness area was something that was really appealing to my clubs, the Austrian company. So then they said, hey, mm. they want to expand to their corporate fitness offering and they want to do that nationwide, not just in the cities that they were active in. And therefore they were looking for a network that was broadly spread ac across the country. And that was exactly the Chim Hopper network. So then it was like a logical next step for both of us for us, because we didn't see the large potential that we were hoping for, you know, European-wide, and we only had to focus on Switzerland, but also for my clubs, who was basically looking for exactly that part uh, to have the network that Jim Hopper could offer them. Got it. So it was a perfect match. <laughs> exactly. But probably also the only match, I guess. <laughs> I think there wouldn't have been any other or not many other good matches. Good, good. And 
just after that exit so what was the next step for your life i know that you have swisspreneur uh, it was the next step for you or you what how was the story after this or you take some vacation or <laughs> no I, i should have i should have i i just continued working so it's very normal that you then say you know when you do one of these deals that you then also stay on with the company you legally you don't have to But of course, the incentive structure is set that way that you actually stay on for a bit longer. Mm -hmm. So I then stayed on for uh, yeah longer and worked for my clubs, built their their corporate uh, fitness business, mm -hmm. and at the same time, um, you know, even you know, in the sales process, I actually also got involved with Swisspreneur because our very first coach, Chris, who actually also started Swisspreneur together with Alain, um, he didn't have time anymore to host the shows. And I told him that I love the project and I would like to get involved in, in any way. And uh, that's basically then when I took over from him as a host and started doing the podcast there. That was like, yeah, almost four years ago. It's crazy how mm. time flies. Got it, got it. And what, is the, what was the mission and vision of Swisspreneur in that moment? And maybe it has evolved into those four years or it was... It hasn't still... changed. So it was a really good one that they mm -hmm. said in the beginning. So the mission is basically really to promote and advance entrepreneurship in Switzerland. Because we all think that startups are a very important part of our future you know, wealth here in Switzerland. Because they will bring innovation, they will bring prosperity to a certain degree. And therefore, we want to motivate more people to pursue their entrepreneurial career, to start a company, because we think that this is really important to not only be successful today, but also to be successful in the future as a whole country. And mm. therefore, we want to support people by giving them content from you know, experienced entrepreneurs, showing the role models who have actually done it before, but also pushing them and motivating them to actually pursue their dreams and start their own company. Mm. So... It hasn't changed. It has always been like that, and it will also be like that in the future. Mm -hmm. I get it. And in that process, uh, I see that right now you have a lot of different interesting projects. So uh, like a, a syndicate, coaching experience, and of course the events that I personally was able to go and, and visit and enjoy. Uh, so what? How? how has been the evolution of these activities and how... Do you see then that there has been a master plan to achieve them or it has been just coincidence of opportunities appearing on the way, right? Yeah, so it's probably a mix of both. Um, so usually we, we grow very organically. You know, Swisspring is a non-profit association. So we all work pro bono. We don't get paid for what we do. We just do it because we really enjoy doing it and we learn a lot. And therefore, we also have to be very efficient and we then just don't stress out or set us any deadlines We just then say, hey, we really grow organically and we just go live with a new initiative whenever we're ready. We want to focus on top quality mm -hmm. and we don't stress out about, you know, going live this week or a month from now. We really want to deliver the best experience possible. So we did start with the podcast and that was really always the core, right? You have the, the role models, you have the inspiration, the content. The podcast has always been the, the, the pillar, basically, of whatever we do. And also, four years ago, I then started to host the first Founders Dinner, uh, just a very small casual gathering because Alain happened to be in Switzerland, uh, one of the Swisspreneur founders. Mm -hmm. And basically, I said, hey, the best learnings and experiences I made along the journey of Jim Hopper was always when I met and exchanged with other founders. And I felt that although there are more and more founders in Switzerland, they often don't talk to each other or help each other out because they just don't know each other. 
And I wanted to change that by bringing bright minds and great people together for a network evening. You then change your seats a couple times to meet as many people as possible. And uh, that's basically how it started. So the first pillar was really Founders Dinner and podcast. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, the feedback was really good for the Founders Dinner. Mm -hmm. So I, we constantly measured the net promoter score there. It was always above 85, which is crazy high. So I saw, hey, there's a real need for these formats. And then we just evolved from there. So we then also basically said, okay, now we built a community around that. We have more than 350 people on our Slack channels, all founders here in Switzerland or with a Swiss connection. And therefore, we then also said, now we can actually do bigger events. So last year, um, we then started with the Swiss scale-up cruise for the first time, where we really focused on scale-up entrepreneurs. There we met 170 people on the boat on the Lake of Zurich. And also there, the feedback was so good that we say, hey, now we do it again. We also do a winter edition. We do another summer edition. And all the other initiatives basically then came out of that natural community growth. So we basically then saw, well, there are great people out there that are not up for hiring, but there's also demand from people who already built certain parts of their businesses and now want to go to the next level. So that's why we launched the coaching package where you mm -hmm. make interview guests who have walked the path that others tried to walk before that they can work with them for four hours and give them the right input that they need to achieve that next level. And the last part you mentioned was the syndicate. So we then also thought, well, we have all these great entrepreneurs in the community. We have these cool interview guests who actually, some of them already have a nice exit and they want to invest in the next, next generation. So there we also see ourselves as facilitator to basically say, we see these people, these founders at our events. We see how their businesses develops. Um, we see that they have something very interesting that they're working on. And on the other hand, we have these successful entrepreneurs who want to invest. So why not bring them together and helping companies of our community to raise funds easier and faster? And that's exactly what we try to do with the syndicate. Mm -hmm. uh, you already have an initial uh, round or how, what is the status of the syndicate? Yeah, we closed the first round. Um, we invested in Urata. Uh, it's actually a very beautiful case because they initially started their company because they started listening to our podcast. So that was, of course, also a very emotional attachment. And uh, yeah, it, it's just super cool if you then see, hey, they started because of our podcast. So we really fulfilled our mission right mm -hmm. there. And now we're able to participate uh, in their very first fundraising round. And that's just, that's just really amazing. There are more deals in the pipeline. So we are just about to close one or two additional investments over the next week, um, but we are not ready to announce them yet. Mm -hmm. But there's more cool stuff in the pipeline. And we actually wanted to start slow, just with three, four cases over a full year. But now we basically probably do three to four cases in two months. So it's a bit more work than expected. Mm -hmm. If someone uh, from the audience want to join to this syndicate, what is the, let's say, characteristics of the investors you are looking for at the moment? Sure. So there we are very open. Um, it's always important. There's, of course, some regulatory uh, requirements. So in terms of how many people we can uh, accept, etc. And the minimum ticket size is 5,000. And all the investors, they have to make their own due diligence and their own investment decisions. So we only present them cases. And then they can do their own check and their own investment decision and can let us know if they would like to participate. And we basically have a newsletter um, and anybody who's interested in receiving the deals, they can sign up through our website, swisspreneur.org. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so relatively easy, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's the way that we like it. <laughs> good. And 
Yeah, so is if the core has been of Swisspreneur, the podcast, I, I know that you have been doing around 229 episodes right now. So I assume that you personally and, of course, all the community have learned a lot out of those interviews. So do you have any... Uh, something that have maybe changed your life on key lessons out of these people? I mean, maybe it's a difficult question to do, but it's like something that you remember that maybe you started implemented after these interviews with them. It can be. Yeah, right. So I think there are two things that always like really stuck with me. Um, One is basically start solving your own problems and then build a business around that. I think that's the best starting point. Because otherwise, if you just do something because it's a hot topic right now or because you want to make a lot of money, there will always be really, really challenging times when you build a startup. Like, no matter if you want that or not, they will be there, right? And if you have your intrinsic motivation, so, you know, coming back to where we started at the beginning, if your intrinsic motivation is to really solve that problem because it's your own and you want to use the service yourself, then this will help you. It will not make it super easy, but it will make it easier to pull through these challenging times and actually then have, you know, that discipline and consistency to also deliver. I think that's a key ingredient of, of building a successful company. So that will make it way easier for you to, to push through the challenging times while others might give up along the journey. And the second one is just about the team. Um, some things that we always hear over and over again are basically a good co-founding team shares the same values so you have shared values but then you have a complementary skill set so you don't have just technical people or just business people in there but actually a mix that you can really you always say like somebody needs to build the product and another person needs to actually sell the product i think that's very appropriate to see it that way that you have shared values to be able to work together but then you have the complementary skill sets in your own areas of responsibility to actually make it work Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, thanks for the advice. It sounds good. And of course, make total sense. Sometimes uh, sometimes the advices can be, let's say, common sense, but are difficult to implement, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> good. Um, yeah, so in that journey of the Swisspreneur, have you have something that you consider a fuck-up that happens in the process or everything has going smoothly? Um, so far, we've been actually pretty lucky, I need to say. We also always had like backup stuff, etc., for the recordings. But once I run out of space in an interview, so then I luckily still had the camera uh, voice, the camera recording. Um, so we were able to fix that, but it was not ideal. So the voice and, the, you know, in the podcast, the, the audio is the most important, <laughs> the only channel you have. It was okay. It was, uh, you could listen to it, but it was not ideal. So that certainly was a fuck up. And then I created a lot of smaller fuck ups, you know, where I put the camera on the wrong angle or something, because you also do these little video snippets to promote the podcast. But that's something that you could easily fix. And then you can also say, oh, we don't use the video. We create like an audio wave video Mm -hmm. or something. So (laughs) not ideal. There have been plenty of the small fuck ups, but uh, the big one was really where I messed up with the space and didn't pay attention to that. Got it. Yes. There is too many details to take into account, right? Yeah, sometimes it's just you forget <laughs> about that. Good. And how have you seen the evolution of the Swiss startup ecosystem? Uh, I know that you as well have some uh, website with the, what you call the Swiss Startup Mafia. And so ha- have, 
How do you feel about the evolution of the Swiss startup ecosystem and what is coming in the future regarding that connection that you are making with the events and, and of course, making sure that the Swiss entrepreneurship ecosystem can grow? So what are yeah. your plans? <laughs> so, I mean, there's a big, big momentum in the ecosystem right now, I feel. I mean, there's, you know, we see bigger rounds. We see top VCs like Sequoia coming into Switzerland, investing in companies like Yokoi, for example. Mm -hmm. um, also today, Partners Group in, uh, announced an investment in Climeworks for about like 600 million. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's crazy, you know, you didn't see these numbers a few years back. So I think they're really, really on path to higher growth, to hopefully also bigger exits that will then bring more money back into the ecosystem. And that's why we think the startup mafia map is so important because there you see out of which companies were born new companies, new startups. And that is so important to sort of measure the health of an ecosystem. If that's happening, if you have a successful company, then many, many more companies come out of that. That's a very, very healthy ecosystem. If that's not the case, I think that would have been Switzerland a few years back um, when you then see, oh, you just sell too early for too little money, or you sell most of the proceeds go to your US-based VCs, for example, so you don't really have the positive effect for the local ecosystem here in Switzerland. And I think and also really hope that this will change and hopefully there will be large exits and also hopefully some IPOs of Swiss companies, no matter where they will do it. Um, I mean, Switzerland would be great, but I also understand if they do it somewhere else. And to have these you know, startups becoming really, really big companies and also really valuable and then bringing money, talent, know-how back to the ecosystem. I, I think we are just on a very interesting point on that flywheel to get a very, very good ecosystem here in mm -hmm. Switzerland. Good. And what are the industries that you see more um, with more growth right now, or do you see it in general? Because of course, Climb Works is climate tech, right? Yeah, it's, right. It's, it's really interesting, of course, it's a really good company, but the question is, okay, is Switzerland is uh, in the world somehow involved in certain industries, I assume, right? So, yeah, I mean, how do you know, you there are much better reports and data mm -hmm. points than I can give mm -hmm. you here. So uh, probably check out the Swiss startup radar by the startup ticker. Mm -hmm. I think there you have a very good overview of the different sectors, uh, where the money goes, where we had the biggest exits, etc. So uh, I recommend checking that source uh, instead of me quoting some numbers that I probably <laughs> don't remember correctly. Yeah, of course, we will put it into the links of the podcast for people as well. Yeah, Perfect. Good. Um, now talking about your other roles. So I assume you you have like, okay, Swisspreneur, Rentosh as well. So I read about Rentosh and you were talking about eliminating the barriers in distributed teens communications. So, uh, yeah, what is the company about and what is your role into the company? Yeah, so Rentouch, it's a really, really cool case. So that's also why two years ago, I got so enthusiastic about that when I got introduced to the team. It's serving a very specific niche, right? So there's this framework called SAFE, Scaled Agile Framework. Mm -hmm. uh, many people haven't heard about that because it's basically, it's not a fair comparison to make, but many people know Scrum. So imagine SAFE as Scrum for very big companies, huge companies. And once a quarter, they basically meet to do their planning, meaning they plan their work for the next 10 weeks. And they used to do that by flying everybody in into a hotel, a really nice hotel, 
And then they put the sticky notes, really the physical post-its on the walls to then plan their work and break down the features into user stories, etc. And two years ago, we all know what happened, right? COVID hit and that was not possible anymore. You couldn't just fly everybody in from all over the globe and meet in a hotel. That would have been madness, right? And the PI planning app, that's the software, the solution of Rentouch, is basically making all of that experience, the whole planning, possible in your web browser and directly integrates you with Jira or any other uh, tool that you might use to then track your work items. And that is so powerful because, of course, the need for such a solution basically exploded, right? Uh, as soon as COVID hit and the team was very well set up there. They built the product for a few years. They are very close to the customers. They know their feedbacks, they know their pain points and therefore also developed a software that is exactly serving those needs. And that is just a very powerful setup to be then in the right time, like in the right place at the right time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Got it. And how was the involvement on you that you were using your skills of sales with them based on your title is enterprise account director. So what specifically does entitled, let's say? Yeah, right. So, you know, the title is also, <laughs> it, it could mean anything, I guess. So that's what I, I meant in the opening sentence. But basically, yes, I, I am responsible for sales. So I uh, do demos with clients. I do lead generation strategies to uh, actually have more leads. We run marketing campaigns to generate leads on different platforms. And after the demos, we also entered the negotiations, the follow-ups, et cetera. So there I'm, I'm really fully invested in the sales process and want to bring them to the finish line to close and acquire a new client and also help them with the setup, of course. Mm -hmm. So that's the sales part. But then we also have a, a lot of additional interesting topics on our table, right? You know, uh, there are like financial topics that we talk about. There are customer success topics. How can we make our customers more successful? There are hiring topics that we also talk about, growth topics. So there's so much stuff that we talk about. Uh, and that's just a very, very interesting point right now uh, to be working with or for Rentouch, I would say, because there's a lot going on. There's a good momentum. And uh, it's also a very interesting case uh, to see where we want to go next. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the typical industry players you are working with? Is there any specific industry or do you see it like it's generic to uh, so it, it is really where the big companies are so many of our clients are actually in based in the us because the framework is also very common there mm -hmm. and there are different industries that we work with you know insurances financial services government so there it varies quite a lot it's really about the size of the company so usually they have far beyond 10,000 employees so mm -hmm. it's really the big players usually publicly listed or government mm -hmm. Got it. And if we can talk a bit about the lead generation of this type of companies and B2B sales. So uh, how is the process for you to bring these customers to start using your software and kind of this moving out of a call call or something like that to right. actually a customer? How, how is the process for you guys? So yeah. be before we talk about the details there, I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing that we learned over the past two years is really invest enough time into qualifying them. Because you can invest so much time into, you know, setting everything up, doing demos, doing calls, doing follow-ups with the wrong client. And then only before you actually want to sign the contract or you want to send them a quote whatsoever, you then realize that they were not really a good fit and then the deal dies. 
and you invested so much time and energy into that deal and that must be super frustrating. So that was one of the biggest things that we learned along the way that qualification is so important in sales. So it's also okay to say, if customers want something that is not a good fit for your solution, it's also okay to say, look, what you're looking for is not something that we focus on. It's better if we don't work together now, if you ever change that, and if you might be a better fit then, very happy to reconnect, but it's not worth to make them unhappy by just selling them something and also not worth it to invest your time and energy into a client that you know is not a good fit. So there it's better to stop that process as early as possible. But going back to your question, how can we do the lead generation? So there it's a mix. So we are lucky to have uh, enough inbound leads. So their SEO helps us a lot. We rank very well on, on the organic Google search for the relevant terms. We also run classic ads on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google ads, etc., to generate leads for different trigger events. That could be a demo, that could be an evaluation call, that could be a webinar, a free trial registration. And then we basically take them into the sales process if they do any of those events that I just described and then qualify them and take them from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are also other strategies. You can host your own events. You can build a community. You can ask for referrals. So the, the playbook there is probably endless. And uh, there are many, many of different options to choose from. And for us, it has always been a mix between paid stuff, like the ads that I mentioned, but also the organic content, like sharing stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, one of our uh, founders is very, very talented in doing very professional videos. So there we are actually as a company, we have uh, an amazing setup with the whole team there, you know, to also produce top quality content in a very, very professional and high quality manner. And that also helps a lot to, uh, you know, have something unique that nobody else offers. Mm. Got it. And in that process of qualification, I assume, of course, you first needed to define what is your ideal customer, right? So yeah. um, were you involved into that process? And if we can talk about if you were, can you talk about this, uh, how you made sure that you were uh, focusing your content and everything to that ideal customer? Yeah, it's basically the buyer persona that you are mm -hmm. talking about here. Mm -hmm. So of course we then create like different persona types where we said like on what pages do they consume their news, for example, how old are they, etc. That we then worked with for the, the whole marketing outreach. That was basically the targeting that we did there. So yeah, we certainly did that together um, to, to create those persona and to then also tailor our efforts, not only for the B2B marketing ads that we run, but also for our other campaigns towards mm -hmm. those people. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, you know, we also do cold outreach. So we also have some LinkedIn campaigns and some email campaigns that we are up, like always up and running. And basically what we do there is thanks to our framework that we focus on, they usually have very specific job titles that no one else has. So therefore it's very you know, easy for us to identify the right people, the right decision makers to talk to and to reach out to. Mm -hmm. Got it. And what is the typical, um, let's say, f time frame of taking a decision with these decision makers uh, that you have managed to, to handle? Yeah. So I, I'm not sure exactly. I think the average close time is uh, somewhere between three to six months. Mm -hmm. Got it. Which is I... three months is rather short for B2B enterprise sales. I think six months would be more the average on like in total. Uh, we are closer to the three months, I think. It, of mm -hmm. course, it always depends a bit, but 
uh, luckily the need is big enough mm. that people really want to use our software. Got it. And of course, I assume you are signing contracts for at least one year, right? Because if not, it cannot be worth it to go into. Well, we have both. We also have quarterly options, but mm -hmm. usually, of course, you know, if the client likes it, um, they always go for the annual subscription. Not all of them, but most of them, because it just adds a more cost beneficial price mm -hmm. tag. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe moving more towards uh, your recommendations of institutions or mentors to follow in Switzerland. Uh, if you are planning to start a startup, uh, where do you recommend someone to go or to visit? Of course, Swisspreneur is one of them for sure. <laughs> right, but, yeah. Uh, um, you know, it, it depends a bit on what you're looking for. Um, in, in For Swiss standards, I think there are a lot of great you know, programs. I especially like the, the Blue Line, the like-minded program. They have like their own acceleration program, but they also have other offerings to support you with starting your own company. Um, there are really cool online courses that you can also take, um, more US-focused, but still great content from Y Combinator. And one person that I would really highly recommend, also based in the US, but his content is just the best I've ever seen and consumed, uh, is Naval Ravikant, the founder of AngelList. And he has so much valuable thoughts and things to share about business, but also about life that I think is just super helpful and inspiring for anyone out there. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, one of the, let's say, resources or authors I follow as well, because it's really interesting, their mindset and so on. Yeah. Um, do you have any podcasts or uh, resources that you like to follow or you, you are just focused on the creation of your own podcast? No, of course. <laughs> I also listen to podcasts, uh, sometimes not as often as I would like to. Uh, I personally enjoy the, the Tim Ferriss show. I think that's a really cool one. Then there are also some German podcasts from, from media outlets. Um, they do often bonus series. So there was a really good one about the Wirecard scandal, basically how they went bust and uh, how all of that happened. But that's usually then not a series. It's more just a, 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 like it is a series, but more like a 10 piece and then it's done, not a recurring podcast. So I also really enjoyed uh, those a lot. Good, good. Um, maybe the last two questions before we close, we can sure. talk about going back more to the personal and work stuff. Uh, I see that you are running a lot of different stuff. So how do you manage your time? Do you have any specific system to do it in daily basis or how, do, how does it Sometimes work? Sometimes very poorly. Then I get stressed <laughs> and just have to work more, which is probably the, the, the worst decision ever. Mm -hmm. um, I do like to, to plan um, in my calendar and there I have like different dedicated focus times. So I always try to do calls and meetings in the uh, afternoons and have focus time or time for myself in the in the mornings. And I also try to work as much as possible. It's not always possible, but as much as possible without having to take many meetings. So of course, internal things, you know, with my teams uh, or with clients, always, that, that always has top priority. But I try to stay away from not goal-oriented or goal-focused calls, you know, like introduction calls or like discussions or decisions that you can also take over to an email that I can do that asynchronously to uh, be more efficient. And uh, then it leads to another problem that your email inbox can get out of control, but uh, at least it saves you time. And uh, sometimes I had to learn that over the past, 
there's always something to do, right? So you just have to call it quits. You have to have your top three priorities, what you want to achieve today, work on them, leave everything else out, and then you'll be good because then you feel accomplished. You did what you wanted to do and everything else is still there tomorrow waiting for you, but it wasn't important today. So it's also okay if you only work on it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, of course. Just take it a step by step and hopefully everything will follow up in the goals that you want. Exactly. <laughs> good. And just as a maybe closing uh, question, so wh what legacy would you like to achieve based on your work? So I see that uh, one of the key topics, of course, is build the ecosystem in Switzerland. Um, is this something that if you see it later in retrospective, that would be your, let's say, dream of what you want to build? Or how, to, to be or honest, I don't really think about that question mm. a lot because I think like... I don't know. I, I just don't like having like a big ego or something. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like I'm probably so ir irrelevant in this world if you zoom out that whatever I do doesn't really matter too much. But I can tell you what makes me really happy. You know, the story of Urata, for example. If I see that people see value in, in what we or what I do, if it changes their life for the positive, if they, you know, take the leap of faith and actually start their own company because they listen to our stuff whatsoever, having that positive impact on other people, that's really motivating and rewarding. So I wouldn't call that a legacy, but just having a positive impact and trying to, to have the most positive impact possible. And um, that's what makes me really happy if, if that's working out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you already have been doing a good job into that with all the podcast interviews and all the events, right? So a lot of people has been, let's say, improved their life because of these experiences maybe, yeah. We, we hope so. We, yeah, we, we hope. never know, but uh, we, we always do our best to, to give the option to, to be it that way. Yeah, or they will connect with you and tell you, hey, I listened to this yeah, exactly. episode <laughs> or I went to this event and this was a life-changing experience or something happened that maybe it's not that big, but it was an introduction sure. or something that happens, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, how can people reach you out? I think the best would be LinkedIn. Um, so I am quite often quite active on LinkedIn, not only because I do sales, but also because that's basically where most of our Swisspreneur content is located and people interact with. So LinkedIn certainly is the best platform. It's just my first and last name and you will find me. Okay. Yeah. We will put a link as well into the episode Perfect. podcast links. Yeah. So thank you very much, uh, Silvan, for your time today. I hope that you have enjoyed as I did and all the best with Swisspreneur, Rentosh, and uh, all the potential possible ventures in the future, right? So, I enjoyed so. it a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Ricardo. All the best. <laughs> yeah, we keep talking. See you. <laughs>